Hey everyone, welcome to The Front Porch. I'm Brian Beaudry. This month I'm talking to Tim Dodd of Atlanta Party Rentals. Uh, he was recommended highly by James Auerbach, who I talked to a few months ago on this podcast. Um, we talked a lot about basically his journey to into rental, from wanting to be a fighter pilot to finding his addiction in, in the rental industry. We had some career advice, some education advice, and we talked about his love of the city of Atlanta, how he sources his equipment directly from China, and just a whole lot of other things. Uh, it was really a pretty interesting conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. If I say something stupid, you can edit this out, right? Welcome to The Front Porch with Brian Beaudry. Hello, Tim. Welcome to The Front Porch. Brian, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Okay, let's just get started with the easy questions. So who are you? Where are you from? And let's start things off with a top five list of your favorite pizza toppings. All right. um, My name is Tim Dodd from Atlanta, Georgia. Been here for eight since 1984. And uh, I call Atlanta home. Lived all over as a child, but Atlanta is definitely my home. Five favorite pizza toppings. Got to go with pepperoni, of course. Uh, Jalapenos. Spinach. We'll throw some feta on that pie. And you got to have onions. Okay, I think that's not a typical list, but I like it. It's, it's okay. Good. So I've, I'm already going off of our standard questions that I've written out for you. Okay. So you, you say that you moved around a lot as a kid. Um, was there a reason? Uh, yes, my father, my father was an executive with a, a company called Levitt's Furniture. I don't think they're around anymore, but uh, he kept getting moved around to locations that were performing poorly. And they'd bring them in and he'd whip them into shape and they'd give them a raise and they'd move them to the next uh, fiasco to, you know, take care of. And it brought us to Atlanta and in 84 and it's, I love it here. I was going to say, and you just decided this is, this is where I'm going to say, I don't need to, I don't need to keep following all these other cities. No, the weather's pretty delightful here when you, I really enjoy four seasons, um, spend some time in, in areas where it was summer basically you know all four seasons and you see that the leaves change and smell the the crisp fall air Um, and football it's just it kind of it's just gets in your blood and it's uh it's hard to leave definitely hard to leave for me my family cool okay now let's get back into the regular questions okay okay when you were a kid eight to ten years old what were you thinking that you were going to be when you grew up uh definitely a pilot Uh, okay you are not a pilot though right I am not a pilot. Um, I quickly realized in my my teenage years that uh, I was wanting to go into the military and be a fighter pilot, jet fighter pilot, but um, I'm six foot five and you're too tall to fit in a cockpit. So uh, at about ninth grade, I realized that I was going to be seeking a a different career path. Yeah, I think uh, I think most of my cousins have a similar issue. I'm only six three, so I'm like the small one in my family, and my cousins are six seven ish, and I think they all wanted to be pilots or on like uh, ships, and it's like, no, nope, not going to work out. Yeah, submarines and tall people—that makes for a lot of headaches, I would think. But I think it had something to do with the cockpit. You you could fit in it, but if you ever had to eject, or at least that's what someone told me that you'd hit your head on the canopy. And yeah, that's not the way you want to. 
eject. No, no. So I quickly, after ninth grade, I realized a different career path was certainly in my future. Okay. So how'd you get into the rental business then? Uh, I went off to college as a very immature 18-year-old. And after uh, a year and a half, I, I failed out of college. And uh, my fa- my one of my close friends at the time and his father had just opened a rental company in Atlanta. Um, and I was, I believe I was their third employee. So I would wash dishes and press linens and load the trucks and go make the deliveries and and there you have it. And I believe I made $7 and 50 cents an hour. I was awfully proud of that, of that wage when you factored in overtime as a, as a, a 20 year old kid that didn't know too much. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was in 1990. Unfortunately, that company was a, a casualty of COVID and they went out of business earlier uh, this year, 2021. It was a little, little sad, but yeah. Things things happen in life that unfortunately. Okay, so you started in 1990, uh, washing dishes and making deliveries. You said you, that you opened your first business, also named Atlanta Party Rentals, in 2000. Correct. How do, you get to, how do you get to the point where you're going from being an employee to owning at least part of a company? What are the steps that you're going through there? Well, after one year, I left that company and went to work for another rental company that used to be real. Uh, it was a franchise, I believe. It was called Abbey Party Rental. Um, it was privately owned at this point, and um, the owner uh, was certainly a very important mentor in my life. His name is Joe McKinney, and his wife, Pam McKinney, I believe she was the first female president of the American Rental Association. Uh, I worked under their tutelage for the better part of a decade and uh, pretty much wore, at some point, every hat at that business and eventually became the general manager in the, in the early to mid nineties, uh, um, they were selling the business in late, uh, of 99. And at that point I realized that, Hey, um, how successful they had had multiple locations in South Carolina and the one location in Georgia. And, you know, I realized, Hey, I, I was instrumental in helping them build this business. They were absentee owners. They were in a different state. And I had kind of learned on my own, obviously, with their tutelage, you know, from periodic visits and daily phone calls that I wasn't interested in continuing to make someone else a lot of money. I was interested in, in doing it for myself. And uh, just before the, 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 the transition to the new ownership group, I believe it was uh, HSS Rentex. Uh, some of these people that are old timers like me might remember them. I think they have gotten out of the, the industry as a whole. They might be in Europe, but I, I just said, Hey, if, if I can make my old owners a lot of money, I, I think I can do it on my own. Cool. So I guess there wasn't a, a discussion about you possibly um, being part of a group to overtake that one. You're just like, no, nah, I, I got my, own. no, they, 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 they had already made the deal and, uh, and, uh, I'll never forget. They found out that what my, my goals were to go out on my own. And, and, uh, they asked me point blank. I remember meeting him at the Atlanta airport and it was very uncomfortable, but I was, I was very forthright and honest with him. And I told him exactly what I just told you. And he, uh, he shook my hand. And, uh, to this day, I, I still think about Joe and Pam, um, They've been very instrumental in, in multiple people um, opening their own stores. I think 
I think the last count, there were four people that worked underneath them, five, including their son-in-law, that went on to become uh, uh, their own entrepreneurs and very successful. Some of them have been extremely successful, but they were, they were instrumental and they understood, you know, I mean, I was a young yeah. kid. I was 29 years old and I, I was, you know, I, I work hard. I certainly learned everything I know from making pretty much every mistake in the book. That's that's how you learn. And yeah. that's really not a mistake in my eyes. If you learn from it, it's yeah. a learning experience. But they, uh, the, Joe and, and Joe especially has reached out to me at other times in my life uh, to congratulate me, to give me advice when I'd had some adverse times. Um, and, and I'll never forget it. Uh, hopefully he'll hear this podcast and, and know how grateful I am for, for everything he's, he's done and Pam as well. That's cool. It's it's not a uh, it's not like a coaching tree, but it's an entrepreneur tree that they're, they've created. Absolutely, they were extremely instrumental. I think they're still involved with ARA to this day, and they certainly do it because of their love of the industry. They're they're very wealthy people, and they travel all over the world. And for them to find time for, gosh, I remember uh, they had Next Generation was something ARA had. I don't know if they still have it. It was a long, long time ago and just really, really instrumental. Um, I know Joe reaches out to several of these other mentor or children or kids, not children that he mentored and to this day and still checks in on him. And that, that says a lot about, about the man. Okay. So you're, you're going out on your own. You're starting a new business. What's, what's the most challenging part of the process of, I, I know I can run a business to, oh crap, I'm actually running a business. Well, we're going to get before the running of the business. Without a doubt, the hardest part of opening a company in 2000 at, at 29 slash 30 years old was finding the funds to do so. Um, I believe I was in about $10,000 worth of debt. So I had a business plan, but I didn't have any money. So I did it a little, little backwards, um, but without a doubt, finding the funds, which ironically... 22 years later, uh, it's probably one of the easier things to do in life. But like you said, it, it, it takes money to make money. But finding the funds in, in late 99, I, I actually didn't get the funds until about six months after I'd had this great idea. I was going to quit my job and open a business. But uh, again, I learned from it. It was a mistake, but I learned from it. So it was a lesson. Okay. Wait, so you quit and set out. And then there's six months until you actually got money. What yes. are you doing in the six months? Uh, I was on the phone with every vendor in the world trying to get pricing. Um, gosh, I remember this one gentleman. Uh, he was with EES, who's a big event equipment sales. Rich, I forget his last name. Uh, I must have called him three times a day, changing everything. You know, I think everything was, uh, gosh, I might even have been using a typewriter to to make the adjustments on my, my business plan. But yeah, I was, uh, I was dotting every I and crossing every T when you had six months and, and I was worrying a lot, obviously, as I was, I was going in the debt. Uh, but, um, you know, those, those times of, of, of really wanting things and really having to have it happen in order to pay your rent, that, that kind of kickstarts things. And, um, but I was, I was very prepared, needless to say, once I found the funds. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like after that six months you have, your plan is amazing. It was Brian. I implemented 
um, gosh, once I received the funds, um, I was open and received all the products. Back then, you could get products really quickly, a little bit different than, than today's times. But I was open, uh, had all my infrastructure set with my laundry and my dish, had all my inventory and all my racks in, uh, I want to say in 10 weeks, which was uh, pretty darn quick, two and a half months. I was yeah. I was in business and and had a had a very successful first month or first year, I, I put it. But yeah, I was I, I was ready to uh, I was chomping at the bit once I once I got the funds and I'm sure my vendors were happy because I'd been driving them nuts for six months and they were thinking this silly kid, he's yeah. never going to come up with the money. But I did. Nice. OK, so I was looking through your LinkedIn. I saw a bunch of Atlanta based companies and then there's a little bit where you're the president of Gulf Coast Tent Rentals. Yep. Uh, and that's in the New Orleans area. And I thought all people from Atlanta uh, we're supposed to hate all people from New Orleans because you're bitter enemies because of football, I believe. Is that overblown? Did NFL on Fox lie to me? No, no. The Falcons and and the Saints do not like each other. Um, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever way you're looking at it, I am not a Falcons fan. I've been a, a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan since um, I was seven years old, so 44 years ago. Um mm -hmm. I really don't, I mean, I'm, I hate saying it. I love my town, but I'm not a fair weathered fan. My close friends, we get together. We actually just got together recently and watched the Cowboys uh, against the Falcons. And they didn't even want to invite me over. I kind of invited myself over. Yeah. Um, and I, I was very quiet as Dallas put a, a good thumping on them. But yeah, uh, I was at that game. Uh, our, our little group down here went. Yeah. To go to that game. That was the last time the Cowboys actually looked like a playoff team. Unfortunately, hopefully they'll they'll snap out of it. But yeah. um, not not a huge Falcons fan. We do a lot of work at the Mercedes Benz uh, Stadium, the incredible new venue we have here in Atlanta. Yeah, um, we do. Uh, my company does. Uh, we we have been to Arthur Blank's home many times. We do a lot of work there. He's the owner of the Falcons, the founder of Home Depot. Um, yeah. Great man. Great great leader great for our community and our town but i am not a falcons fan i probably would not go to the game if i had tickets i'd certainly give the tickets away to my to my my uh, friends or colleagues or customers but not a fair weathered fan so uh, i don't pretend to be and um i i do root for them if you know when they were in that that epic collapse uh yeah against the the patriots i as a matter of fact i was in new orleans during that game and I, I lost a little bit of money on that game and took a little bit of a ribbing because I'm from Atlanta, but yeah. um, not not a not a not a Falcons fan at all. Nor okay. a so, so your so your trip to Atlanta was not as bad. But why 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 did you end up going to New Orleans then? Well, I had sold out of my last uh, partnership uh, rental company in uh, late 2015, and um, I signed a non compete. So I obviously will abide by my non compete. I was offered an opportunity by uh, George Smith from Mahaffey Tents. He owned, you know, everyone, uh, most people in our industry are very familiar with George. He had bought a uh, small rental company down in New Orleans a decade before, and it had performed poorly for the entire decade. Um, I was sitting around um, doing nothing, uh, you know, just kind of enjoying my, my life and my wife and my children. And but this time without a ton of debt, at least, right? Well, I, I no, I, there's no debt, but I was certainly burning through the funds that I did, did have. Um, 
and George offered me an op, a wonderful opportunity um, and a very attractive um, financial plan for me to go down there and uh, whip that company into shape. So I did for about uh, nine or 10 months. And um, very quickly, I realized that that New Orleans and, and wasn't a place that I wanted to spend. Uh, I wanted to raise my children. Um, getting back to the four seasons, very little seasonality change there. I really missed the fall. And man, I tell you, I, you don't realize how great your home city is until you leave it. And um, an opportunity presented itself. Uh, my non-compete was coming close to expiring. A lot of my old um, colleagues, customers, employees reached out asking when I was coming back. And, and one day I, I looked at my wife and my oldest daughter and asked them if they were interested in coming back to Atlanta and they both started to cry and it was tears of joy because they missed um, what we had and what they had their friends and and two they they, they love the city you grow fond of any place that you go to and listen New Orleans was a great place we lived on the North Shore as they call it there's a big lake just north of uh, New Orleans called Lake Pontchartrain it's huge we lived in a fantastic community up there um, but I drove across the second longest bridge in the world every day, twice. It was almost 24 miles long and it was straight as an arrow. And uh, that got difficult. Um, New Orleans was uh, a very difficult town to find um, labor. You know, as you get close to the coast, all these companies that'll tell you that are real close to the water, that labor shortages are real. Um, and, and it's, it was difficult. It was the, it was the biggest challenge of my life, but I think George will tell you, um, I did exactly what he asked me to do. And I took a company that did okay. And in nine months turned it into a company that was phenomenal. We did have a good core group of people there. I'm certainly not taking all of the credit. Um, but, um, shortly after I left and went back to Atlanta, George, I was able to help him. Uh, transition and sell the company to one of uh, his largest competitor down there. And uh, so George, you know, everything ended kind of, everything kind of happens for a reason. I was able, my non-compete expired, came back to Atlanta, moved back into the exact same neighborhood that we lived uh, before. So my children were happy. My wife was happy and I was happy. I mean, you even got started a little bit down that same path as your dad, where you're going in and fixing things at places. And then you just immediately said, no, nah, we're just going back. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it, you know, it, it was an easy sale with the wife and, and my two daughters, uh, but especially my oldest daughter who was in, I mean, gosh, we moved her when she was in middle school. And I remember those moves, constant moves. Gosh, I probably went to nine different schools between kindergarten and high school. And uh, I'll never forget the terror he feel going to a new school. And I'll never forget bringing my daughter to her first day of middle school and her crying in the parking lot as we're parking. And that, that tears at your heart as, as a parent. However, now my daughter and I talk about it and she doesn't regret it for a second because she has some wonderful friends whom she stays in contact with and she's constantly going down the visit or they're coming back up to Atlanta to visit for weeks at a time during the summer and during break. And 
I've developed some uh, a, a, a very good friend of mine who I'd put on the list of my top three or four best friends just in that short period of time. So again, things happen for a reason. Uh, it makes you stronger, makes you a little bit, you, you got to come out of your shell a little bit when you go into a new environment or you'll never meet anyone. So um, she doesn't regret it one bit. Okay, I won't get you in trouble right there because you mentioned the top three or four of your best friends. I won't make you make a top five list of your best friends and then like anyone who's not in there okay. uh, come, right, comes out good, at you. Uh, I don't have that many friends though, so it probably <laughs> wouldn't be a very long list, Brian. Oh, okay, so if you could only give one piece of advice to someone starting an event rental business, let's say they're doing it in New Orleans so they're not competing with you directly, yep. um, what would you what would you say? That's funny you asked this because someone called me about six months ago and they were in Atlanta. And the first thing I said, and I meant it, was don't do it. It is not for everyone, okay? Unless you're willing to work eight days a week for the five, first five years of the inception of the company, it's not worth doing it. Um, and there are a handful of people that are foolish enough to do that. And I'm one of them, but literally, I probably work 35, maybe 40 Saturdays a year, maybe 25 to 30 Sundays a year, just so that my inbox could be close to being empty when each work week starts. But this is not an industry for most people. It is, uh, it's difficult on you, you, you personally. It's difficult mentally. The mental anguish is uh, is more difficult for me than the physical, but certainly the physical anguish. I'm too old to be out delivering stuff, and I, I try and help load vehicles, and, and my shoulders hurt from lifting five eight-foot tables, much less out delivering 500. But if you're not prepared to um, to work eight days a week and at times 24 hours a day, I mean, gosh, I remember working 35 hours straight when I opened my first rental company with a crew of eight guys. And six of those people still work for me today, and we still joke about it. Now, we're all 20 years older, and we, we would struggle to do that again. But unless you are committed to being committed, don't do it. It's that simple. But, it, you know, there's, it, there's certainly some benefits of after you get over that hump and you, you get great people that you can delegate to it, it gets easier, but it gets harder before it gets easier, man. Let's circle back around. What is your take on career planning? Uh, it seems like you had a <laughs> non-planned out career as, as a high school kid. Yep. Um, so what's your take on career planning, particularly during middle school and high school? I have a daughter who's going to be a junior in high school and she's being active. She's being asked to pick a career track to take electives in. Do you think that's useful? How would you advise her to approach things? Well, it's funny you're you're saying you have a junior. I've got a, a daughter who's a senior, and we're in the process of uh, applying to colleges. She's been accepted to several. Um, we're trying to get her into UGA, which is like trying to get into North Carolina or Duke if you're in-state. It's extremely difficult. And we talk about majors. And, man, I tell you, at, when I was her age, you know, being a pilot was just, just sounded cool. Never thought about my career choice. And I, you know, I talked to my daughter about that. She says, dad, I don't know what I want to do. I'm only 17 years old. What 17 year old knows what they want to do the rest of their life. So I told her, honey, you know, the best thing to do right now is um, probably to focus on business or finance because 
business and finance are, are, are applications that you're going to have every day for the rest of your life. Whether you go in the business or you go in the finance, you know, every day you're making business decisions on your personal life and financial decisions on your personal life. So we kind of left it at that right now. You know, I tried steering her to, to go, you know, be a dentist or gosh, I told her to be an orthodontist because I know how much money I've spent on braces on my two children. And they seem to work three and a half days a week. And right now we're, we're just going to focus on uh, for her is, is business and finance. And I mean, how many people graduate from college with their degree in marketing and end up with a job that is so far from marketing? So I don't know. Uh, that's the best answer we've come up with right now. Hopefully she finds her passion like I did. Washing dishes wasn't necessarily my passion, but I enjoyed the freedom of being out on a delivery vehicle when I was 20 years old and learning my way around metropolitan Atlanta and seeing all the cool things that our drivers get to see and that I got to see as a kid. And that was what you know got me up to go get out of bed every day and go to work along with the paycheck. But I don't know. It's awfully young at your daughter's 16, I presume. That's I mean, yes. did you know what you wanted to do at 16 years old? No, absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. I think it's a lot of pressure for for a child to do. But again, you get into college. She's yeah. she's in college. She she's in dual enrollment, so she's been earning college credits for the better part of a year. So she isn't going to have the the two years to get her core curriculum done because she started college while she was in high school. So she's going to have to make her mind up probably in about 10 uh, after about a year of college, but hopefully by that point, she'll, you know, she'll get a taste of what, what, you know, most juniors don't even know what majors are. It might sound great information technology or, you know, political science, but you, you think most juniors actually know what that entails? Probably not. As long as whatever you decide to major in, you try as hard as you can and get straight A's, you can be successful at whatever you decide to do. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to laugh? It's time for Jonathan's Jokes. Let's give him a hand. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So for today's joke, why did the woman get mad at her husband when she asked him to pick up six cans of Sprite? He picked seven up instead. So it's 2017. You're back in Atlanta. What's the toughest part of the process of going from leaving that business to, was it you were going into another business over in Atlanta again? No, I was leaving New Orleans and okay. I was moving back to Atlanta. Uh, my non-compete was on the tail end. Okay. So um, I came back to Atlanta to open a new business when my non-compete expired. Okay. Um, the hardest part was, uh, gosh, uh, certainly not finding the capital. That was, that was, that was really easy. I didn't have enough money to, to do it on my own. It took a sizable investment. I wasn't going to start a rental company that was going to, you know, do five or $600,000 a year. I had too many, um, too many clients that were ready to do business with me as soon as I got back into business. So I did bring in a couple strategic business partners. So probably the hardest part was uh, 
building the building out, you know, finding a building takes a little bit of time. Um, But, you know, I I rented a blank slate and had to do extensive plumbing work and extensive build out work just so we could put the commercial dishwashers, put put the commercial hot water heaters, a commercial laundry in. Um, But quite honestly, I probably enjoy that part of the business more than anything, um, because you, you can see the progress that you make each day. I direct source everything from Asia. So I went over to China in, um, in late 17 to meet with my vendors over there one more time and to go over a couple quality things that, you know, fix this bolt, make this bolt stainless steel instead of steel so it doesn't rust and little yeah. things like that. And to ensure that, you know, I was spending a small fortune over there that, um, that my, what I expect was exactly what got shipped to me. Um, but probably building the building now, uh, going to China is easy. You hop on an airplane, you spend 24 hours traveling over there, you get cleaned up, you visit factories for four or five days and you come back and, and you wait 90 days and the product comes in. Do you, do you speak Chinese or do they just speak no, English? Or? No, no, no. You haven't uh, picked it up? I, two words, uh, ni hao and shi shi. Um, I, I can't remember what ni hao means. I think it means hello. I was going to say, I think I've heard it like in uh, pop culture or something. Yes. I think that's hello. Hello and shi shi means thank you. Oh, okay. um, no, pretty much every factory, you know, it's, it, it goes to show you Americans are kind of lazy. I mean, the Chinese speak multiple languages. There's multiple dialects of, of in China, there's Mandarin, which is most commonly spoken, but yeah. pretty much every business person I spoke to in China spoke some degree of English, um, you know, which is, is you know, kind of, you know, we're getting out hustled, you know, not just in China, but, you know, a lot of the Hispanic uh, countries I visited, they all learn English in high school yeah. and they speak it well, not like I speak Spanglish, yeah. you know, I speak party rental Spanish, but um, no, over there it's, and if, if they don't speak English, they have an interpreter who is right yeah. there next to us uh, the, the entire time or next to me the in, entire time. Very easy from g- getting to the airport, getting to the hotel, at that point I'm in their hands and they, they, you know, they take you to, they take it, they take care of you. You know, it's, yeah. you know, I felt someone asked me today cause we were talking about, there was a pretty disturbing, um, uh, on 60 minutes this past Sunday, it's pretty disturbing what they were talking about was going on in China. And it certainly made me think, do I want to continue to support that economy? But, um, 95% of the products that I go over there and buy directly are coming here and I'm buying it after two or three companies have put their hands on it here. So I'm not, I'm still supporting the same factory in China. I'm just supporting two additional steps in yeah. America. So I couldn't have opened this company in 2017 slash 18 with the, the resources that I had to buy the quantities that I needed to support the huge account deck I had without going straight to the source. So that's the reason I go overseas and have been going over there for, for 10 years. That makes sense. Okay. What is your 
proudest moment as a founder of Atlanta Party Rentals, the sequel version, because I know that your first one was also Atlanta Party Rentals. Uh, um, my proudest moment was probably having my first million dollar plus month. Um, I never thought that that was attainable. I talked to some of my peers and they had always hit it. And I thought it was just so difficult. And uh, we did it. And we, we actually did well over a million dollars and uh, and have had exceptional months since then. But definitely, I, I never thought it was possible. If someone would have asked me in 17, I would have told them I wasn't interested in doing that much revenue. I, I'm going to recant that. I am interested in continuing to do that much revenue. But yeah. it's uh, not easy. Not easy. But million dollar plus month, certainly my proudest moment. So that first one, was it just like one huge event or was it no, just like, no, it was, lines? you know, our average order, um, it's not very large. I want to say it's probably around three grand. So if you do the math, that's, you know, 333, $3,000 orders just to get to a million bucks. And, you know, we certainly have some much larger orders, you know, from a hundred bucks to a hundred thousand dollars but no there wasn't a particular there wasn't a six hundred thousand dollar anything like that we we, we sub rent very little so it's not like i i got a, a, a six hundred thousand dollar job from home depot and had someone like mahaffey tent or one of these larger regional tent companies chattanooga tent come do it we do all of our own work we don't we're not big on sub renting um i know that recently y'all had a world series win down in atlanta so did you guys do anything associated with the recent World Series win? You know, um, no, we did absolutely zero. And that was unfortunate, but we were offered a, an opportunity to do about a $50,000 job. But we were booked. And, uh, you know, the last thing I want to do is say yes when I know the answer should be no, because nobody's going to be happy. The client's not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy because I'm going to be refunding a bunch of money. So begrudgingly, we had to we had to pass on it. And the client was grateful for us being honest and just saying, hey, listen, we'd love to do it. But it was just our bandwidth. Everyone in our industry knows you only have so many drivers. Um, I can get more trucks. It's, I can't get more drivers. You know, my dishwasher was out driving trucks. My laundry lead was out driving trucks. You know, we shut our dish pit down and our laundry down and I'm out driving trucks. But no, unfortunately, uh, we, we did absolutely zero, but that was okay. You know, we, we had so much other business going on. Sometimes it's you win by losing. That, that reminds me, did, um, has anyone ever hit you with the, do you know who I am? Or like tr try oh, to big time you? Absolutely. And, and, and you know, um, we tell them, listen, we're, we'd be doing a, we'd be lying to you if you say we could do it. And I refuse to do that. Um, you know, the, that's a wonderful order to have, but at the expense of the clients that order from me 200 times a year or 50 times a year or a hundred times a year, I'm not going to jeopardize to, to, to dangle that $50,000 carrot to jeopardize a client who may spend a hundred or 200 grand a year with me. Just, I'm not interested in that. We're looking at long-term relationships, not short-term gains. Okay. Now I've wanted to bring this up to some other people, but you are a point of rental customer and mm -hmm. I want, I want a good quote uh, that I can use elsewhere. So I'm going to use this to do my marketing. Uh, okay. I'm putting on my marketing hat now. Okay. So you use point of rental 
what's what's your favorite part about working with point of rental you know i tell my employees this is great i have some fantastic employees but i tease them sometime and tell them they're not my best employee and they look at me like what do you mean and i said our software is our best employee and they both nod their head um my software has never called in sick since the day i got it my software doesn't i don't have to pay my software overtime and my software works 24 hours a day seven days a week when i need it um you know i couldn't be any more happier i i tell people all the time that that, that yeah. don't have point of rental i tease them and say hey how much business do you have on the books next week and i can hear them you know typing away on the keyboard and i said i already know and they're like what do you mean i said it's so simple and some people don't realize how inexpensive point of rental can be i don't know point of rental as well as my employees do and i'm a little a little embarrassed at that i know how to do my job with it yeah. um, and i know how to go to them when i need to extrapolate information that i know is in there and I would say we probably only utilize 5% of the capabilities of point of rental, but the most important 5% to me is to handle my accounts receivable and to handle my inventory management. It does not make mistakes. When my employees come to me and said point of rental messed up, I go over and we sit down and dig into it and say, no, Point of Rental didn't mess up. You gave Point of Rental the incorrect. Oh, I see what's going on. I love it. Um, if point of, anyone ever called me for a an honest review of Point of Rental, I'd tell them the same thing. Get it. You can't afford not to have it. It's, All right, that was too much nice niceness. Sorry, uh, I'm going to have to cut like so much sorry. of that. Um, I hope that you're not being extra mean and and taking it to the next level with your employees and being. Having like a employee of the month thing and be like, sorry, you can never win this. But that second employee, no, no, no. Hey, they, no, I've got some great employees, but listen, our employees appreciate this software too because it makes their job easy. I mean, it, it really, it's a trickle down effect. Let's change gears right now. Yep. What's one trait that you believe all great leaders have in common? Decisiveness, especially in this industry. I mean, I am thrown. Uh, multiple curveballs every day and I have to make a decision quickly in order to answer the next or hit the next curveball or at least take a swing at it 110% decisiveness all right I'm glad that you came with that answer quickly too that, that okay really emphasizes yeah. it yeah okay so I'm going to stop talking about how limited your LinkedIn profile is which I've noticed okay. a lot of people that lead businesses they don't really worry about it too much um one of the things that does come through is the, your pride in the city of Atlanta and its growth over the years as you and your businesses have grown. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have some time to not be running things or running your business, I know that you used to not have any of that extra time, but what, what are you doing out in the city of Atlanta? You know, soccer, children's soccer. Well, my daughter played travel soccer, which brought us all over the United States. Fortunately, she has retired from soccer. Um, I, it was extremely expensive, uh, but you know, we were, we were in Seattle and Houston and Boston and all, but soccer for the first couple of years, but, um, I, we love to travel. Um, traveling is when I'm not at work, I'm hopefully out of the country traveling or in parts of the country that I've never been and fishing 
uh, I love to fish. I used to love to hunt. I do like to hunt now, but with a camera. Uh, I enjoy wildlife. I enjoy the woods. I do enjoy the beach, but I would prefer the mountains over the beach any day. But um, just relaxing, man. Just you know, went away for Thanksgiving for a week. I read two books. I haven't read two books in two years. Um, wow. Just relaxing in, 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 in with Mother Nature at the same time. Nice. Okay. I was also trying to Google up some news stories about you. How do you feel about having basically all Google results for your name end up pointing to a YouTuber? Have you become a fan of this YouTuber? No. Do you resent him on any level? You know, I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what you're talking about, about the YouTuber. But what I do know is there is a very successful IT um, executive in Atlanta named Tim Dodd. And I've gotten um, several phone calls on my cell phone with recruiters trying to recruit me. And I, and I laugh and say, I think you've reached the wrong Tim Dodd. No, I, I have, um, I am not on social media at all. I have okay. a little bit of social media, LinkedIn, you know, that's yeah. not really, I guess it's social media, but as you can see, my profile is pretty limited. Yeah. Um, but I, someone handles my social media for my business. Yeah. I don't know how Instagram works. Um, I think, I think MySpace was popular the last <laughs> time I was on, on social media to tell you how long it's been. All right. So this guy's not, uh, interrupting your, your no, what, what, what does he do? Is he an influencer or what? I, I don't know. I just saw the Tim Dodd things and I was like, this doesn't look like, this doesn't seem, this doesn't, this isn't the guy. You know what, Brian, <laughs> this might be my only social media presence. If this podcast might get me Maybe it'll go viral and I'll be the next. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> you overtake him with a single podcast. Yes. Yes. Okay. So before we get into the five important questions, is there anything that we should know about you that I haven't even thought to ask about because I don't, I don't know you. You know, really the only thing I come up with is that I got to visit the Great Wall and Tiananmen Square in the same 24 hour period. That was probably not, nothing, cool. nothing super fancy. Yeah. Walking on the Great Wall when you have size 14 shoes is not very easy because the treads on the stairs go from three inches to six inches to nine inches. And it's, it's, it's spooky. It's, it's, it's straight up. It's, it's deceivingly um, for someone who's not fond of heights. I didn't make it up very high before I, uh, my colleague did a, probably a couple miles where I just sat there and said, I'll just chill out here and, and enjoy, you know, a yeah. seven, a 7,000 mile wall. I always look back on some of these things. It's like, these, these don't meet regulations. Come on. No. Standardize your stairs. people. Code in China. Is, yeah. That's the, that, that phrase doesn't, doesn't go together, but especially something that is, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of year old. Uh, but it was certainly pretty, pretty neat to, to see something like that and, okay. and to touch that, that same stone that who knows, maybe Genghis Khan walked on that stone yeah however many thousands of years ago but now it's time for the five important questions five important questions five important, five questions. important questions five important questions what would you say is your greatest success in life okay i'll give you the the same answer you probably get for everyone else my two daughters without a doubt beautiful wife two daughters but being able to work for myself for the better part of the last two decades um, 
that's that's pretty instrumental when i did go down to new orleans just like working for myself george smith gave me complete autonomy down there but i tell you it's uh i can't imagine not being an entrepreneur not being 110% responsible for the success or the failure in 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 my career um I would not have it any other way. There's no way in the world I could work for anyone else ever. All right. Well, I won't recruit you to work here at Planet Fund. Okay. All right. Um, if I could go, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you started your career, what would it be? To be, to have learned to be a more patient, not just boss, but husband, father, student. You know, everything, employee, definitely not a patient, you know, that decisiveness and and not being patient probably go hand in hand. As I've grown older and wiser, I I think I have become more patient and I'll do a a little bit more listening than, than talking. I definitely know I've, I've, I've grown in that aspect, certainly not where I need to be, but being more patient without a doubt. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's a fairly common answer as well. I feel like for entrepreneurs, especially, you know, Maybe that's just because, yeah, I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's the most embarrassing moment in your career? You know, I struggled with this one. There weren't a lot of them that I could think of, but I do remember being at an ARA show in Anaheim, and I don't remember what booth, maybe RSS, but it was a company that sold a bunch of knickknacks, and there was glass everywhere, and I was my feet were hurting me, so I went to lean on a shelf, and I knocked over two glass punch bowls and the show was packed and they just exploded everywhere. And I just kind of looked around and everyone's looking at me. I think I just walked away. I didn't even offer to pick it up. It was, I turned red, but you know, I, I don't think anyone, I, I don't think I ran into anyone at the hotel bar later that night that saw it, but fortunately not a lot of embarrassing moments, at least that anyone else saw. Um, so sorry, you've been sentenced to death because, you know, leaning on these, glass uh, shelves and yep. breaking a bunch of things is now a capital offense. So what's your last meal and why do you choose that? Lobster rolls and king crab. I don't need to explain why if anyone's ever eaten a lobster roll. Delicious. That sounds like a Northeasterner answer. Oh, not, uh, you know, answer. I, I fell in love with them visiting uh, the coast of Maine one summer in 2006. And yes, king crab, my 12 year old daughter and I love to Go buy the the two hundred dollar box of king crab and sit and gorge ourselves until we can't eat anymore. But man, lobster rolls are so delicious. There's I'm I'm glad I don't live in the Northeast because my cholesterol would would be even higher than it is today. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Ooh, oh, okay. I'd like to have some more hair on the top of my head. All right, that's a simple one. Some yeah, people, yeah. I mean, it, there's so many things that you can change. If you could change one thing about the rental industry, what would it be? that it wasn't so seasonal easy question man easy question but you wanted the four seasons no no, i get it but i want to do the same amount of revenue in each quarter Mm. um you know i'd love to do 700 grand in revenue each month and do 8.4 million dollars for the year instead of having you know 1.5 million dollar months and then a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar month the seasonality of this business it's the worst part of it. I think yeah. every rental store owner, operator, manager, employee would agree with me. Um, there's no way to make that happen in my market in Atlanta. 
people don't get married in January and February and March. Um, I do 66% of my revenue in in Q3 and Q4. I do 33% of my revenue in Q1 and Q2. It's tough. It's tough. We don't utilize temporary labor here at all. It's just, I don't find it that it works. It takes my experienced people. They're now babysitting temporary people and not able to do their job. So we get the same amount of, we do twice the work in Q3 and Q4 that we did in one and and two with the same amount of people. You know, we host, uh, we get the opportunity to host Super Bowls and Final Fours. And we were getting ready to host uh, the Final Four with March Madness and COVID hit. And we lost, we lost $300,000 worth of business in a day. And then it, it, and then it obviously we lost way more than that, but yeah, we were getting ready to host the final four CBS sports had a huge order in. And as soon as I, you know, the Lakers game got canceled, I woke up the next morning and I saw on my phone, CBS sports was calling and I knew what it was and it was them. Yeah. But anyway, Hopefully we got some more, we got some more big events coming up. Okay. Now let's get through these quickly. I, I see we're about up, out of time. Okay. What is your spirit spice? Black pepper. Why does black pepper represent you? People either love it or hate it. It's kind of, it's kind of who I am. All right. Well, I like you so far at least. All right. I like you too. Brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me a secret about the rental industry. It is addicting. It really is. That's what keeps me no secret. You can make a a very nice living, but it's addicting for me getting, doing what we say and saying what we do and, and keeping our name and positive light out there. It's very important to me. It's extremely important to me. I'm very proud of what we've done and, but getting up out of bed and coming in every Saturday and every Sunday, I don't do it because I like it. Yeah, I, I make a commitment to my it's addicting. It's just addicting. I was going to say it has to be in order to get through those five years that you're mentioning and then still have the possibly every day a week. Oh, even, man. Even after you've got hey, easy street. every day a week that but then you know, two weeks from now, our season ends and we have two and a half months to lick our chops and lick our wounds and batten down the hatches and get everything in shape again. So trust me, I've already got some. I've got a fishing trip planned for Guatemala. I'm going to go down to Brazil. Um, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to catch, get some R and R in here, but then we just start over again. It's a perpetual cycle. Every rental store operator will tell you that you, yeah. you take your breaks when you can, and you're going to work eight days a week when you have to. Okay. Well, thank you for, again, for joining me today, Tim. Thanks for uh, having me, Brian. I appreciate it. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I appreciate you having the time to chat. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. You too.